This week's indictment of eight individuals for the alleged roles they played in an international cyber heist scheme that resulted in the theft of $45 million highlights increasing card fraud risks and system vulnerabilities. So what areas should the industry be addressing now to ensure these types of attacks can be predicted or halted sooner? Hi, I'm Tracy Kent with Information Security Media Group, and I'm joined today by John Bazard, a payments fraud expert who oversees FICO's card alert service. John, this most recent cyber heist hinged on hacking payments processors and then increasing the load limits on prepaid debit cards, which were later used to make ATM withdrawals for cash. Card numbers are being stolen in a number of ways today, either through skimming attacks, POS device tampering, and now these network attacks. John, would you say that network attacks are just part of the natural evolution of card fraud? Well, I think it's a question that begs to be answered, Tracy. I mean, these astounding attacks are becoming more prevalent as international criminals become more daring and greedy to capture as much ill-gotten gain as they can. I mean, it's all about the cross-border fraud, obviously, for criminals coming into the U.S. or living outside of the U.S. and targeting our ATMs and our financial you know, infrastructure. It's relatively common to literally read about some sort of information breach every week in a strata of industries from healthcare and financial concerns to institutions of higher learning. It, it's quite something to behold. Now, John, you and I have talked about card technology and how some of the lingering magstripe technology that we have in the U.S. is oftentimes what makes us vulnerable. Would you say that EMV or chip and pin card technology could address and or mitigate some of these risks? Absolutely. Um, it is a major problem and has been for many, many years. As other countries in the world have adopted or they're in the process of this migration, shall we say, to a smart card technology, you know, we do have a roadmap in the U.S. Uh, to migrate to chip cards, and it's certainly, you know, the right direction for us to take to counteract card present payment fraud. It's truly the gold standard. We just have to embrace those initiatives and really push to make sure that this chip card initiative happens sooner than later. Obviously, we have a roadmap from our associations, and we're looking towards 2015 for that. So really and truly, as we press towards full compliance as a nation, we'll see dramatic shifts in fraud. Absolutely. So, John, do you think that EMV technology would have helped to mitigate some of the risk that was posed by this most recent cyber heist? The roadmap for the U.S. migration to chip cards is certainly the right direction to counteract card present payment card fraud. I mean, it's the gold standard. Um, we're certainly embracing this idea, and I think everyone really wants to push the initiatives to get to that compliance level so that we can see the precipitous drops in card present fraud that other countries that are now compliant have experienced. So it's the ultimate goal and the ultimate antidote. These types of cyber heist and ATM cash-out attacks, we've seen these before. They're nothing new. In fact, the RBS WorldPay attack back in 2008 was this similar type of scheme. But, John, is there anything about this most recent incident that stands out to you? The mere fact that this situation has occurred again in such a relatively short period of time um, from the similar attack, um, referring back to 2008, that's surprising to me. But what made me stop and really take notice, I think, was literally the loss amount quoted in several articles that I've read. You know, the information published is indicating about five times the loss amount. So that's really substantial. Um, I don't think that we can ignore the fact here that the victims allegedly 
are in areas of the world that are deemed as being a little deficient or backwards in their security practices. I think that that is um, a very naive paradigm to be living in, regardless of where you are. And it kind of reminds me of a problem that's not unlike what the U.S. issuers in particular have experienced since 2005 with phishing. And to paraphrase that very quickly is, you know, when we started to have an enormous amount of phishing problems from 2005 onward, most financial institutions assumed that phishing was the plight of the Goliath-like brand names that are out there, so the very large financial institution brands. And as a result of that perception, there were a lot of financial institutions that were small to incredibly small, medium community banks, credit unions. They really neglected to take simple measures to reduce their risk of that type of fraud. So I think that the same thing is happening in our industry today when companies make that fatal mistake of saying to themselves, we're not in an area where there's a lot of fraud. We haven't had a problem. We really don't think this is ever going to happen to us. And that thinking alone, I think, is a key to a future weakness in everyone's security. So when you talk about a financial brand that's in you know, another country and we say, well, it's a little weak, the thing is, it's sort of the idea here that um, if you live in a gated community, you don't have to lock your front door. And in reality, you do. The same thing is said for security practices. Once you install a security system, it's not enough just to have it. You have to make sure that it's working. And so you have to go back, look at the systems, take a look at traffic reports. There's a multitude of things that people need to do to make sure that it's not just enough to have that security system in place. We have to test it to make sure that it's there and working properly. Now, looking at this particular scheme, John, how do you think that the attacks against the payments processors were actually waged and the network penetration accomplished? You know, Tracy, honestly, if I had to go with a gut feeling, I would say that it wouldn't surprise me eventually to learn that there was some internal collusion that may have involved either a a current employee um, at these organizations or maybe a former employee. You know, today, I think one of the most common and dangerous elements to any type of a security operation, whether you're at a financial institution or wherever you are, it's that employee sitting at their desk today. And for a variety of reasons, maybe our employee um, is having a bad day and they have sloppy security practices and they leave us vulnerable for just enough time for somebody to sense that vulnerability. Maybe they're doing some simple intrusion testing on their own from the criminal's aspect And that somewhat innocent yet sloppy employee has left us vulnerable, right? So that's one of the ways. Um, I'm thinking possibly that in this case, it could have been an internal situation where somebody on purpose perhaps left a port vulnerable. And again, you also have employees who really are contemplating career changes. They have their own hacks to grind with the institution. And we've heard many times before, especially when you have someone who's in a position of ultimate power, like a DBA administrator or someone who can issue IDs and passwords, you know, it's really a volatile, scary idea to have somebody who today can create a user ID and a password on your system that allows them to gain access through your VPN and sensitive info long after they've left the organization. So there's a lot of monitoring that has to happen, auditing to just really vet that whenever someone is leaving the company, it's a good idea to go back and take a look at what they've done over the last year and just see if there's anything that sticks out as an unusual vulnerability because it could have played into maybe this situation. 
If it didn't, then they obviously had some really unprotected areas of their organization that allowed somebody to do some simple intrusion and testing to get in there and get to the critical systems in place. So, John, why was this intrusion not detected sooner? Well, honestly, Tracy, I think that we'll know some more details, you know, as they emerge because the story is relatively new to everybody. Again, it kind of goes back to this thing that if you're not monitoring incoming and outgoing traffic, ports that are opening and closing, there's no real audit of day-to-day system access. It is highly possible that, again, This is just one of those situations where it was a sloppy business practice. If somebody didn't uh, perform due diligence, just routine checkups. And again, if we had an employee sitting there that was helping to perpetrate the situation, then obviously we can help to circumvent and hide access and controls like that. Now, in this particular incident, the profit from these attacks actually came in the form of cash, which was withdrawn from numerous ATMs over a short period of time. And this type of scheme is actually known as a cash out scheme. From what I understand, John, cash out schemes are very difficult for banking institutions to detect because the fraudulent ATM transactions occur so closely together and they occur from multiple locations. But are there steps that banking institutions can take to help improve their chances of detecting or even predicting some of these schemes? I do. I think that it all really comes down to a solid real-time fraud solution, whatever that happens to be. And whatever type of fraud solution is appropriate for your organization. Um, And again, it's not possible to be everywhere in every corner of the world at all times. But there's a lot of really great technology out there that would enable a card issuer to have some controls in place for out-of-band card activity. Same with processors with activity through uh, certain geographic regions and uh, hot terminals and things like that. So I really do think that the investment and time, thought and money should probably go towards real-time fraud solutions. No matter who's doing your fraud prevention, whether it's you or a third party, it's really all about that. And it's not enough to look back and say, wow, we just realized that three weeks ago we lost money. We need to know about it today and take some really measured quantitative steps to prevent the fraud in the authorization stream. Now, these so-called cash-out schemes are not anything that's new, but experts suggest that they are increasing. Why would you say that these types of attacks or schemes are on the rise, John? You know, honestly, in the United States, I truly believe that it's tremendously involved with you know cross-border fraud. This is literally over the next three years or so as we're pushing towards our EMV compliance. This is truly a period of time that's what I like to call the last gluttonous feeding of criminals you know, against our payment cards. If this is truly the last area where you can perpetrate these types of scams in the world, where there's great vast wealth, there is no employment of chip technology or preventative measures, This is a playground for the criminal, isn't it? So the United States is very attractive in that respect, very rich and very vulnerable. And we're probably going to see more and more and more. I mean, we have three years to go here, Tracy, so who knows what's going to happen. When we look at these cash out schemes, how is information about possible or even identified cash out schemes being disseminated to banking institutions? And I'm assuming this is going to play an even more important role as we move forward over the course of the next three years. Well, I think it's all about the information that people have at their fingertips, as you say. And it's an expression that I use a lot in our industry, and it really is absolutely true. I used it yesterday in speaking with 
a credit union. You're only as good in this industry as the Rolodex at your fingertips and the fraud intelligence that you have access to. And sometimes you have to make that happen for yourself. It's not going to come looking for you. Um, and so I think that you know a lot of the uh, advisories and warnings and fraud intelligence that come in from really great organizations that are in tune with fraud trends like cash outs, whether that may be Visa, MasterCard, American Express, a lot of the other organizations, even the ATM Industry Association. And I have to say, even with FICO, we have something for financial institutions that just keeps growing and, and growing in popularity. It's our Fraud Alert Network website. Um, and it's something that since inception in 2002, we have 11,000 financial institutions and law enforcement professionals participating and networking and gathering fraud intelligence in a really secure environment. So it's really important to stay in touch and in tune with what's happening out there, not just from a geographic perspective. I'm not just saying that it's important that we know that cash outs are happening in California, shall we say, but we need to know more about it. You know, what are the characteristics, the dollar amounts? You know, are there things that are missing in the authorization stream that we can use as a defense against the criminals' efforts? So there's a lot to learn out there, but there's some wonderful ways to learn it if people take advantage. You need to familiarize yourself and make contacts with law enforcement if you're at a financial institution. And then, John, before we close, are there any final thoughts that you'd like to share with our audience? Well, I think that um, one of the things that's really, really important is just revisiting your current security practices. I think it's reasonable to say that if you're not doing intrusion testing today using a third-party intrusion firm, that you really get on board with it because you don't want to find yourself in a position where you're in the news with a very embarrassing and uh, business-affected case at your fingertips. So my thought would be find a really good third-party vendor to investigate and try to uh, penetrate your systems. It's worth it to really see how you stack up and see how quickly these people are able to breach your systems if they are at all. Organizations who are vulnerable or who have a lot to lose and have a lot of personal data for consumers really truly need to consider you know, having that intrusion system in place. There's a lot of hardware-driven ideas out there that are in the marketplace today that could be used, IPS systems, et cetera. So just don't assume that you have best in class. You need to test it. John, I'd like to thank you again for your time. Thank you, Tracy. It's a pleasure as always. Again, we've just heard from John Bazard of FICO. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tracy Kitten.